Several years ago, my wife and I went on a road trip. Uh, we were celebrating our 30th wedding anniversary, and uh, so we made a plan. And uh, uh, we uh, essentially followed that plan. It really had two parts. Uh, get to Portland, Oregon. Get to Zion National Park. Get back to Portland, Oregon. Those were the parts that we had. And uh, then, uh, I don't know if you know this, but I like to fish. And there are several places between Portland, Oregon, and Zion, Zion, and back to Portland where you can fish. And so, my wife graciously let me add those little pieces, and she surprised me with a couple of them. Um, and it was, it, it, it was a great trip. Back in the day when we went on road trips, you did it a little bit differently. See, back in the day when I was a teenager or uh, even a young adult, uh, if you went on a trip, you had your automobile perhaps, and, and then you had to have a map. Uh, a, a map is something that's on paper, And it gives directions. And you can have maps that are fold out. Or you can have maps that are bound by a spiral little thing at the end. And those maps help you get from point A to point B. Um, but suppose you're going on a road trip and you decide that uh, you're, you want to get to a particular destination. So uh, you have your map. You might even invite friends to come along with you, and you have friends with you, and, and you might even decide we're going to have snacks, and those snacks are going to uh, provide joy for us along the way. But the one thing you don't have is a guarantee that you're going to get to the destination. No, no matter, no matter, how, big amen on that one, Bill. I'm sorry. Have you had a, an experience? Okay. All right. It'll be all right. But we have uh, no guarantee that we're going to get to where we want to go. We, we don't have a guarantee. You don't know what's going to happen. Maybe um, uh, something happens to the automobile uh, that derails you from getting to the destination. Now, maybe something happens with friends in the car and the friends get in a fight and that finishes the trip altogether. Maybe something happens at the destination that would cause you not to be able to get there. Maybe a, an avalanche or uh, uh, burning forest fires or flooding could uh, de, uh, uh, finish that destination. You can't get there anymore. You, you can start the journey, but you don't have a guarantee that you're going to get there. God makes a promise to every son and daughter who belong to him that if you begin the journey as a follower of Jesus Christ, he promises by his empowering presence to get you purposefully, securely, and joyfully to the destination. And that destination 
is eternity in his presence. We've been looking at Ephesians chapter 1, and in Ephesians chapter 1, we've seen the beginning of these powerful promises of God. In verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. In love, having predestined us as sons and daughters to the praise of the glory of his grace. Friends, I got to tell you, that's good news. If you're a son or a daughter of God through faith in Jesus Christ, then all the promises of God belong to you. Those promises don't end, but... Uh, They continue to be spelled out in these verses on the uh, spiritual blessings that God provides. Now we get to verses 13 and 14 where God promises his empowering presence. Look in verse 13, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13, in him, in whom? Who is it? In Jesus. In case you need to know who that, that is, that's Jesus. In him in Jesus, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Now, what we're looking at here is what happens to a person who becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, okay? And what Paul does is he spells it out here. He says that uh, in the, in, in the uh, Greek, by the way, the New Testament is written in uh, what's called Koine Greek or regular uh, Greek back, first century Greek, okay? It's written in Koine Greek, and the Greek is translated into the English. And so the reason you have a King James Bible or New King James or ESV or New American Standard is because somebody took the Greek and translated it into, if you have the King James, it's translated first into Latin, then taken the Latin and translated that into English. They have the English Standard Version. Uh, it is taking the Greek and translating it straight into English by passing the Latin altogether, and that's just the history of interpretation. Anyway, uh, his, history of translations. And uh, if you have questions about that, you want answers about that, you can write that down on a blue card. Ask the, ask the pastor series. All right. Um, but uh, here we have um, uh, in the Greek, verse 13, It says in the New King James, that's what I read out of. You don't even need to have an Ask the Pastor series on this one. What translation do you use when you preach? It's the New King James Version is what I formally read out of. But if you notice, if you have the New King James Version, you note that I don't always do exactly what the New King James Version does. And that's not because I've looked at the NIV ever. It's because... It's because I'm reading the original language and I, and I kind of throw a Thomas translation in there, which isn't great, but it's what I do. All right, so verse 13, in him, in him uh, and it's talking about Jesus, in him, and then the New King James says, you also trusted. But the word trusted in the King James and New King James is in italics. That means that word's not in the Greek, okay? 
So here's what the Greek reads, okay? In him, in Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with, sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So here's the process that, 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 that Scripture teaches us. Uh, there comes a point where you hear the gospel, the, the word of truth. This is the message that is absolute truth, not just somebody's good idea about things. This is absolute truth. This is what never, it, there, it is the absolute truth. It corresponds perfectly to reality. It is truth because God has revealed it as truth. It's, it, it's truth, not because culture accepts it. We, truth is beyond culture. Truth is beyond your opinion. Truth is beyond my ideas. Truth is absolute. And so when it says the message of truth, that term for truth, going back all the way to the Hebrew parallel emet, it means that which is faithful, that which is reliable, that which corresponds to reality. It's not just a good idea. It's not just one option among many options to have a good way of doing life. This is absolute truth. So he says, when you also, having heard the word of truth, the message of truth, what is this absolute truth that we heard? It is the gospel that leads to our salvation. The gospel is a term that means good news. And the gospel is a formula. And we don't need to read volumes and volumes of theological treatises to understand what the gospel is. The Bible spells it out in simple terms. The Bible says that... Uh, God made man, we looked at this last week, God made man and woman in his own image and his own likeness, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. He put on every person who has a beating heart or breathing air the stamp of his creative work, and he calls us treasure. But we who have been made in the image and likeness of God, every person in this room, Every person in this room, I feel like I need to say it again, every person in this room made in the image of God has offended God with your own sinfulness, has violated the holiness of God with your own wickedness. Every person in this room, beginning here. We have a malady in our church and in our culture that says, my sin is not as bad as somebody else's sin. Therefore, I'm okay with God. You're not. I'm not. Our sin has destroyed the value that God had given us at creation. Our sin has separated us from God, and we can't fix that. You can't fix it with your own goodness. You can't fix it with your politics. You can't fix it with your own morality. There's nothing you and I can do to fix what our sin has done. We are separated from God for all eternity. But God, here's gospel. A couple of weeks we're going to be looking at Ephesians 2. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sin and in our trespass, God made us alive together in Christ Jesus. By grace, you have been saved. God sent Jesus on a rescue mission. Jesus, who is and always has been God, was born as a man, lived without sin, so that he might die on a cross. 
Jesus came to live the life that we couldn't live because of our sinfulness. And he came in his perfection to live that life of sinlessness so that he might die the death that you and I all deserve because of our sinfulness. And Jesus died in our place and for our sin upon a cross to pay the price and the penalty through the shedding of his own blood. The sin that we have done. And Jesus was buried. He was raised from the dead. And through his death and through his resurrection, there is a hope. There is a, an offer to every sinner. You can come to God through faith in Jesus Christ. You can become a son or a daughter of God. So the good news is that you are separated from God, but you can be a son or you can be a daughter if you place your faith and trust in Jesus. If you repent your sin and put your uh, life in the hands of the one who died on a cross and was rose again, was raised from the dead. The good news is that uh, that's not even stuff that we do. God in his grace, listen to this, God in his grace. You remember John chapter 3 where Jesus is talking to a guy named Nicodemus at night and Jesus told Nicodemus, he said, uh, look, you want to get to heaven, you've got to be born again. You remember that? Born again. And, 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 and Nicodemus goes, how in the world can I be born again? Can I enter a second time into my mother's womb? And Jesus said, no, you're born again. You're, you're made a brand new cre- creature, creation, because the Spirit of God does it. So it's not only that the Spirit of God Uh, is the seal that we'll look at in a second, but he is the source that leads us to have a new life. It's not even that. It's not just that he borns us again, the Spirit of God, but he also leads us to see that we need to be born again. John chapter 16, verses 7 through 11, Jesus is uh, preparing his disciples for his departure, and he's teaching them about the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit of promise, and he's, he's saying, he said to them in John 16, verses 7 through 11, he said, okay, here's what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit is going to convict people like you and me of our sin. And he's going to convict us of judgment. And he's going to convict us of our unrighteousness by showing us God's righteousness. And in that convicting work of a holy God, the third person of the Trinity, he's going to convict you and he's going to draw you to see your need for Jesus. He's going to awaken in your heart the faith that you need to believe on Jesus. So the Spirit of God is at work through this whole process. He shows us that we're sinners. He convicts us of our need for Jesus. He he gives us the faith that we need to believe on Jesus. And then he births us again, makes us brand new, makes us new creations in Christ Jesus. This is the Spirit of God. And what he does. Now, if you want to write down, I I did John 3, verses 1 through 17 probably. And I did John 16, verses 7 through 11. You can write those things down. By the way, you're going to want to get your pen out. Because we're going to, we're, 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 I'm going to get carried away. I just got carried away. I'm going to try not to get carried away, but I'm going to get fast in my talking. So get your pen out, write down Bible verses that I talk about. Okay. 
All right. So this is what the Spirit of God does. He, he leads us. And if you, if you have um, entered into that relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, you've been saved by grace through faith. If that's who you are, you're a son, you're a daughter, then that's because the Spirit of God opened your eyes, gave you the faith, and birthed you again, made you brand new. Okay? Not what you did. Nothing about what you did. You have set, you've been saved by grace, not of works, lest anyone should boast. This is what God has done by his spirit, through his son, in your life and mine. So now we're sons and daughters. And what Paul says in these spiritual blessings, these heavenly blessings that he's talking about, what Paul writes in verse 13 and 14, he gives us his promise, a process uh, with a promise. So the process is... You heard the word of truth, the gospel. You believed the word of truth, the gospel. Then, simultaneously, contemporaneously, you heard, you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Here's another thing that I I just have to tell you. Once you become a follower of Jesus Christ, immediately, contemporaneously, Once you become a new creation in Christ, you become the temple of the Spirit of God. The picture of you being the seal, uh, you receive the seal of the Spirit of promise, the Holy Spirit of God. That is a picture of immediately at your conversion, at that moment when you move from death into life, from, from darkness into light, from blind, I can see, that moment where everything changes for you. And if you've experienced it, you know what I'm talking about. You've experienced that. In that moment, the Spirit of God seals you. Now, the seal is a picture of ownership. In that moment that you become a follower of Jesus, God says, I'm going to give you my spirit in that moment, and now you belong to me. This is the seal. It's not that you do good works. It's not that you hang out at a Baptist church or any other flavor. It's not that you read good books and can cite certain things. What shows that we belong to God is the seal of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8, around verse 11 and 12, and you'll have to look it up. In Romans chapter 8, Paul writes that only those who are sons and daughters of God are led by the Spirit of God, implying that if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you are not part of the family. Many of us are good moral agents living in this world, following a set of rules that we have been um, uh, that, that we have uh, uh, had handed over to us, and we're following those rules, and we look a lot like a follower of Jesus. But we do not have the Holy Spirit of God, and we do not have that seal on us. We do not belong to Jesus. If you do not have the Holy Spirit, you are not, be- you are not the possession of God. That's what Paul writes here. The seal is God tattooing on our soul. Before, at creation, he stamped us with, you're a treasure made in my image. We mess that up with our sin. But the good news is, at uh, conversion, when we become sons and daughters, he gives us his name, and he brings us into his family, and he stamps us with the possession of the living, almighty, holy 
God. Our, um, our assurance that we belong to God is not that we do good works, although that's not bad, it's just that's not the assurance. The assurance that we belong to Almighty God is that the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our lives. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, 1 Corinthians 6.16, 2 Corinthians 6.16, all of them speak to us about, about us as followers of Jesus being the dwelling place of God. The temple of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> oh my goodness gracious, if you're a son, you're a daughter, you, 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 you belong to God because you have the Spirit of God residing within you. But not only that, not only do you have the Spirit of God residing within you, but God makes a promise when he gives you his Holy Spirit. He makes a promise that he is going to give you a taste of heaven all the way from here to his presence in eternity. Now get this. Verse 14. He says that the Spirit of God, who is the Spirit of God, is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Adorobone, guarantee. Guarantee. Inheritance is heaven. Full measure of that inheritance is, the, uh, is redemption's goal. But the Holy Spirit is the guarantee. Now, what is a guarantee? What is adorobone? In first century, well, it's what you did when you um, were, uh, same thing we do now. If you're buying a piece of property, you put down earnest money. 20%, whatever it is. You put down earnest money. And that earnest money secures that property as yours. It's not the full payment, but it's the down payment. It's the guarantee. What God has done is he's given us a foretaste of heavenly blessings every day we walk this earth by the Holy Spirit. He is our guarantee. Uh, once the Spirit of God takes up residence in our life at conversion, the promise of God, his empowering presence, will help us every day experience heaven's pleasures in the here and now. The joys, even in the midst of sorrow. The peace, even in the midst of chaos. The hope, even in the midst of despair. We experience heaven's pleasures. Uh, the journey between here and heaven may be bumpy, but we are secure. The, the journey uh, from here to heaven now, may be through twisting and turning roads, but, but God is purposeful. Every twist has a purpose and every turn has a purpose. Every up has a purpose, and every down has a purpose. And in spite of the bumpiness or the twists and the turns, the journey from here to heaven is flavored by the very presence of God in your everyday life so that you can live in the joy, in the peace, in the hope, in the comfort, in the strength, in the power of God, no matter what you face. This is the guarantee. We just sang it a moment ago. God is promise keeper. When he makes a promise, he keeps a promise. This is his guarantee. All right, so that's the passage. But can I help you understand a little bit more about the work of the Holy Spirit? 
I've talked about how the Spirit of God opens our eyes to see our need of Jesus and gives us the faith we need to believe on Jesus. And, and once we believe on Jesus, then he makes us born again. It's all the work of the Spirit. He doesn't stop there. That's, that's the beginning of the work. So what is the Holy Spirit of God doing in your life today? Well, this is not an exhaustive list. It's just introductory. But here's what God is doing by his Spirit in your life. The Spirit of God empowers us with counsel. John 14, verse 25 and 26. Again, uh, this is Jesus talking, uh, and he's teaching his disciples about, first of all, he's, he said it John 14, 1. Y'all remember John 14, 1? Jesus said, um, um, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. Where I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. Thomas said, where are you going? We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is saying, I'm leaving, but you don't have to worry. And he follows that up. And he says in verse 25 and 26, he says, these things I've spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper, your translation may say counselor, your translation may say comforter, your translation may just say paraclete. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, here's what he's going to do. He is going to teach you all things. And he's going to call to your remembrance everything that I've taught you. Then he goes on, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither, neither let it be dismayed. Jesus is saying, you're going to hit some bumpy, bumpy roads, but don't worry about it. I'm going to send the, the helper. I'm going to send the counselor. I'm going to send the comforter. And he is going to guide you into all truth. He's going to help you see and understand uh, the meaning behind twists and turns of life or the bumpies of life. He's going to help you understand how to navigate the twists and turns of the bumpies in life. He's going to help you um, find meaning and purpose and joy in the midst of everything. He is going to teach you all things. Good gracious, great balls of fire. Where in the world are we looking for our counsel when God himself has promised to teach us? You come to me for counsel, man, I'll give you my best advice. I may even throw a scripture in there. And friends, make no mistake, I send people to counselors, therapists, who can plumb the depths and show empathy and sympathy and compassion in ways that I can't. And I send them to, to understand the intricacies of the human mind and the human emotion and all that, and I do that. But friends, God himself has promised to speak. If you are a son or a daughter, go to him first. Oh, my goodness, I think that would fix a lot of things in our lives. One of the reasons we don't see the Holy Spirit as a, as a helper is because we don't think we need help until we're at the bottom. One of the reasons we don't see God as a, uh, the Holy Spirit as, as a comforter is because Man, we're doing just fine. We don't need any comfort. We got it all together until you hit rock bottom. So one of the reasons why we don't see God as a counselor is because, well, I don't need counsel. I've got my own counsel. I listen to my own self. And God says, please stop suffering such a fool. 
At least that's what he says to me. Listen, the beauty of the journey is to be taught by the Spirit of God the who and the what and the how of life for his glory and for our good. The Spirit of God empowers us with counsel. The Spirit of God empowers us to grow up. How many of y'all been on the, you remember when you were a kid and, and, and if you had a spouse, uh, uh, not a spouse as a kid, that'd be bad, 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 bad. <laughs> you had a sibling uh, or a best friend and they, they would say, oh, just grow up, right? And just grow up. And God has given us his Holy Spirit so that we might grow up in Christ. Uh, the Bible calls that sanctification. Big word. Uh, it's the will of God. First Thessalonians 4, 3. This is the will of God. Your sanctification. Sanctification means that we are being made more holy. Literally. In the context of, of sons and daughters of God, it means that we are being made in the likeness of Christ, that we are being made more holy in the character and the conduct of Jesus in our everyday life. Growing up is not a function of how many hairs of gray or hairs that have gone from your head. Growing up is not a function of years spent walking the earth. Growing up is not a function of physical size or stature. Growing up is a function of our submission to the Spirit of God as he makes us more and more and more like Jesus. So today, I just want to, I want to call you all, all, all of us, begin with me, grow up. Grow up. How does this sanctification process work? We'll get to more details, but um, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17, we know that God has given us his word spoken by the Spirit of God to us, his word being the Bible. You want to know how the Spirit is teaching us all things? Well, open the Bible and you'll see. You want, you want to know how to grow in the likeness of Christ? Then open the Bible and you begin to see. One of the reasons why so many of us are stunted in our growth as, as, as followers of Jesus is because we don't open the Bible. One of the reasons we feel as though the Spirit of God is far from us is because we're not listening to his words through the Bible. We're looking for a feeling. And we know how that ends. Today, I want to encourage you. Be empowered every single day as the Spirit of God gives us counsel and as he leads us to grow up, to be more and more and more like Jesus. The Spirit of God empowers us with counsel and with, uh, empowers us to grow up. And third, the Spirit of God empowers us for service. And just write 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is a chapter in Scripture that... Um, God has given us to show us that if you're a son or a daughter of God, he has, uh, the Spirit of God has distributed to every son and daughter gifts. 
These are spiritual gifts. Uh, these are beyond norm, normal gifts. These more than my, my talents or my ability. Uh, uh, I, 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 somebody said last week, boy, Eric, you've got the gift of gab. Well, that may be true, but that's not why I'm a preacher. I'm a preacher because God has gifted me by his spirit to preach. There's something different. It's not enough to just be able to say a bunch of things. Anybody can bloviate and pontificate without any kind of substance. That's bloviate, B-L-O-V-I-A-T-E. And God has gifted me as a preacher, teacher, pastor. In the same way, the Spirit of God has gifted you. 1 Corinthians 12, 11 says that God distributes to each one just as he desires. He's gifted you for service. Service not for your own good, not for your own glory, not so that you can stand and hold a microphone. He has gifted you, if you're a son or daughter, he's gifted you so that you can build up the body of Christ and expand the reach of the gospel in our world. When we looked, uh, we're doing a recap of our year, uh, 2023, and it'll be out in a few, uh, few days or a week or so. And uh, we're putting this recap together. And, and one of the things that we measure is uh, how many people serve in our church. Now, there are a lot of different ways we could measure that, but... Um, one of the things that we saw is that over 700 individuals served in our church. Now you think about it, that's pretty stout. The 700 serving. That, that, that's stout. Primarily adults. Now, there are more uh, serving needs in our church. And so many of y'all, like Miss Judy Williams over here, she and her husband Bob have uh, won the competition of how many different serving capacities they can do. I know, I know, 10. Bob and Judy have done 10 service uh, uh, capacities. Now, she's, she's going to be upset with me because I did this, but you were there. And so, uh, anyway, uh, and the reality is God has gifted Bob and Judy in particular ways, and they step in in specific ways for the not exactly the opposite of what just happened. She doesn't want anybody to applaud that because it's not for her recognition. It's for the glory of God and the building up of the body. Today, I just want to encourage you, if, if, if you uh, are a follower of Jesus Christ and you're not serving, make no mistake. You're limping along, not tasting the full flavor of God's spiritual blessings. The Spirit empowers us for service, for the glory of God and the advance of the gospel, the edifying of the believers and the evangelization of the lost. That's why you've got your gifts. And it's not so that you can be recognized. All right? And then the last one I have time for because we're already past the time I need to stop, but... Um, the Spirit empowers us with God's love. He powers us with God's love. Uh, just look across the page at, uh, from Ephesians uh, 1. It's right across the page in my copy of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Um, he's talking about, he's praying a prayer. 
uh, Paul is. He's praying a prayer. In verse 16, he says, uh, he's praying that God would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the depths of who you are. That's a great prayer. But this is how it works. You're strengthened, verse 17, because Christ, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, here it is, being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So here's the picture and just shorthand it. The Spirit of God strengthens us in the depths of who we are. Instead of walking around in the insecurities and the uncertainties, um, uh, instead of walking around in the, um, the uh, plagued by the despair of circumstance, we are now walking around and living overwhelmed by the width and the depth and the length and the height of God's love for us revealed in Christ. And that's what the Spirit of God awakens in us. Uh, at the, or, or before the earlier service, um, I, I was standing up here and uh, we were getting ready to sing or maybe we were singing it. And, and I looked back and, and Edie was at that back door. And, and that's not the time that she's normally at that back door. She's at our 1030 worship gathering. So uh, I looked and, and it, uh, at first was concerned until I saw she was holding my granddaughter, Nora. And they were waving. And can I tell you, I don't really care what y'all thought about, would think about it, but I left and I walked out and I went goo-goo, gaga over my granddaughter. Her other sets of grandparents are here today and they do the same thing. It's just something about our grandchildren. We go goo-goo and gaga. Wait, uh, look, everything. Uh, you, you know, I don't know if you know this, I get anxious about preaching. Every time I preach, I get anxious. I'm anxious right now. You, you don't even want to know what's going on in my brain right now. It's just. But I saw, I saw Nora and my wife and all those anxieties and insecurities. They just kind of faded away as I went and was wrapped up in that love. Every single day that we live as followers of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God strengthens us by wrapping us up in that kind of love, even more so. Uh, wrapping us up so that we are embraced, not by the insecurities, anxieties, fears, uh, difficulties, or even the trauma of our day, but rather we are consumed with the powerful, life-changing, life-shaping love of God. Today, I just want to challenge you. I want to challenge you like the Apostle Paul did in Galatians 5. In Galatians 5, Paul's telling us to walk in the Spirit. And that's kind of what I've been talking about here. Uh, to experience the uh, uh, empowering presence of God in our lives, we need to walk in the Spirit, to live by the Spirit. Now, how do we do that? Well, I can tell you one thing. There's a test 
that each of us need to take every day to see if we are walking in the Spirit. Galatians 5, 19, uh, or Galatians 5, 22 and 23 it's called the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Some of you don't even know what those fruit are. You're definitely not known by them. If you're not known by the, the fruit of the Spirit, then you're not walking in step with the Spirit. And that needs to change. You go to work, and if you're not known by love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self, uh, uh, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, if that's not... Uh, how anybody would ever describe you, then you're not walking in the, in the fruit of the Spirit. And that has to change. That's not optional for you as a follower of Jesus, as though you don't have to live by that. No, no, this is what God expects of those who are his sons and daughters. Not only that, you're not walking in the Spirit. You're not experiencing the joys of heaven's pleasures on earth. So the test you need to take is, am I walking in the Spirit? Am I displaying the fruit of the Spirit? If you're not displaying the fruit of the Spirit, then here's what verses 20, uh, uh, 22, 20, 24, verse 24 tells us we need to do. If, if anyone is in Christ, he has crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. Galatians 5, 20, uh, 5, 24. Uh, what do you need to do? If you're not walking in the Spirit, if you're not displaying fruit of the Spirit, first thing you got to do is do what I do every day and throughout the day. You need to kill your sin. Destroy it. Put it on the cross of Jesus Christ and leave it there. Now, killing sin, crucifying the flesh. That means that every time that, that flesh desire, that sin desire uh, comes alive, you need to confess that as sin and turn from it. We live in a sin-soaked world. And so the, the desires of the flesh, they're awakened in us readily. And we need to meet each moment with repentance, turning from it. If you go through a day and you're not uh, practicing confession and repentance, I, I, wonder, I wonder how much submission to the Spirit of God you're really exhibiting. Not judging, just asking. You've got to kill sin every day. And then verse 25 if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Now, living by the Spirit means that we're, uh, we're, we're the Spirit of God is what directs our lives, not the flesh of verse 24. But so if we live by the Spirit, then he says, let us walk in the Spirit. The term walk there means to get in line. So we need to get in line with the Spirit. Every day, kill the flesh Get in line with the Spirit. How are you going to get in line with the Spirit? Every day. Ephesians 6, verse 17. Uh, 6, 16 or 17. Um, tells us that we need to take up the sword of the Spirit. Which is the Word of God. You want to get in line with the Spirit? You need to open God's Word every day. And then the next verse tells us that we need to pray. And we need to talk to God. Look, if you're not spending devoted time every day in Bible study and in prayer, there's no way that you're going to get in line with the Spirit of God. So begin there. And as we live by the Spirit, we will experience God leading us down to our destination purposefully, securely, 
and joyfully by his empowering presence. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, right now, I pray first for any online or in the room who are not yet followers of of Jesus, I pray, God, that you would, by your Holy Spirit, draw them to yourself in this moment. I pray that you would lead them to see their need for Jesus and his sacrifice for their sin. I pray that by your Spirit, you would awaken in their hearts faith to believe on Jesus and Jesus alone to give them life and forgiveness and hope. And I pray, oh God, that by your spirit, you would give them a new birth as they repent their sin and put their trust in Jesus. Father, I pray for we who are in the room and online who are uh, sons and daughters already experience that wondrous sealing of the spirit in our lives now as recipients of your spirit, as Members of your family through faith in Christ, I pray, O God, that we would live each moment directed by your spirit, empowered by your presence so that we bring glory to you and we bring the gospel to the lost. Now, Father, be glorified among your people in this moment. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.